Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Check, one, two. Check, one, two. And I can't think of a better response than just simply saying to your Heavenly Father, Father, speak, and we will obey. And so that's my prayer this morning for you ladies as you listen in. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26 to 35. Go ahead and turn there. We'll read it out loud. Verse 26 to 35. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 35. What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If I speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and let each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let, let them keep silent in the church, and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or is it, was it from you that the word of God came, or were you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians is an interesting book. Uh, Pastor theologian Doug Wilson says that the book of 1 Corinthians, it's kind of like listening to one side of a phone conversation. When you're listening to one side of a phone conversation, to husbands or wives, do you ever do this to each other? Like, ask questions when your spouse is on the phone, and they're trying to talk to the person they're talking to, and simultaneously out of their other ear, they're trying to, like, you know, interpret what you are saying to them as you're wanting to know what's going on in the conversation. I, when Jordan's on the phone, for some reason, this impulse just rises up in me, start talking to Jordan. What's going on? Who are you talking to? What, what's going on there? What, I have no idea why, but it just rises up inside of me to be annoying. And I am. The book of 1 Corinthians is kind of like hearing one side of the conversation because the church in Corinth had previously written questions to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote back these responses through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as we get these responses, we get indication as to what was going on in the church. So when we hear about orderly worship, we know that what was happening in Corinth was disorderly worship. When we hear about sexual confusion going on, and then Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 teaching sexual ethic, we know that the sexual ethic of Corinth was off kilter, because we get insight into what's going on based on what Paul wrote back. We know the questions that were being asked. The same thing is happening in this chapter. The church had a bunch of questions. Paul's giving answers to those questions. 
and it gives us insight. And something is happening in 1 Corinthians 14 that he is responding to. Something is happening in this church that required a response. And the response that Paul gave is really clear. Women should keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak. If there's something the women want to learn, they should ask their husbands at home. And then he says it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, the, these commands are really clear. They're not hard to understand. They're just very clear. But we have to know, okay, what is going on then in Corinth that led to Paul writing this? Why did this need to be written? And we also want to be faithful to all of the Bible because this is not what the entire Bible says. This is what 1 Corinthians 14 says. And if we find in other passages in the New Testament, women speaking and it not being prohibited when they do, then we've got to ask some questions and find out exactly what's going on. Because the first rule to biblical interpretation is the Bible interprets itself. Now, if we don't have any other examples of women speaking in the church in any capacity, then the right response should be from all of us, ladies included, should be, okay, we won't speak in the church. If God doesn't want us to, then we won't. And there shouldn't really be any questions about it. As much as that doesn't fit the modern cultural narrative, as much as that sounds wrong, if that's what's being said here is across the board, all speech in the local church is prohibited from women. So when you come in and we gather together, no prayer is allowed, no encouragement is allowed. If that's what it was saying, the response still should be, okay, because it's God, after all, who is speaking. However, I don't think that Paul is prohibiting all speaking from women in the church. I think there is a certain kind of speech that's being prohibited. A certain kind of speech that's being prohibited. Here's why I say that. And we're going to turn a few places here this morning. And I want you to turn with me because I want us to get really good with our Bibles. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 21, verse 8 and 9. Acts chapter 21, verse 8 and 9. Sword drill. Who's there? All right. Miss Jen is there first. 21, verse 8 and 9. Here we go. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who, what's that word? Prophesied. Prophesied. So Philip had four daughters. And we have in the Bible, God telling us that they prophesied. Now I want us to think about this. Think with me. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, here is the appropriate context for prophecy. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Prophecy happens in the context of the local church. It is for the church. It's encouragement from God to each other. And so we have also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, women praying in the context of the local church. So we have to ask some questions to the Bible. The Bible does not contradict itself, ever. The Bible does not contradict itself. It interprets itself. That is a big, big difference. 
In other words, we don't get to get these verses and these verses and put them against each other because the Bible is not against itself. We do not ever want to become the people who say, I have my verses and you have your verses because we all have the same verses and they're all authoritative. The problem that, that, that presents itself in front of us is, by the grace of God, will we do the work to best understand these passages as they complement one another? <clears throat> because we find that these four daughters were speaking prophecies in the context of the church, and they were not condemned. They were speaking. So we're interpreting the Bible with itself. Now flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I want to look at some internal evidence into this little section of Scripture to let us know it's going to be like a window for us into the city of Corinth. This is back to the future time, and we're going to step through this chapter into about A.D. 50-something. And we're just going to kind of be a fly on the wall and look and see what's happening in this city that led Paul to give these prohibitions. Look at verse 33. Verse 33. Now already, three times he said, let them be silent. So the silence thing doesn't just pop up in chapter 14, starting in verse 34. It's already happening. But look at verse 33. God is not, an, uh, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, that verse is there because there were some confusing things happening in the church. In chapter 14, to begin the chapter, it says, um, he says, or in chapter 12, the beginning of chapter 12, Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, because they were uninformed. The church in the city of Corinth, were, they were just confused. They were confused, as we've been talking about, about gender. They didn't know what it meant to be a man. They didn't know what it meant to be a woman. They were confused about how life works. They were confused about how to deal with situations in the church. They were suing each other rather than going and dealing with it face to face. They were actually going to Roman authorities and asking for them to get involved before they even addressed each other. They just didn't know how things worked. They didn't know how marriage worked and they didn't know how the church worked. So Paul is addressing some confusing things that are happening. Now, as we look at verse 34, women should keep silent. Now, why? Because they weren't keeping silent. There was some sort of speaking that was happening that in some way was adding to the confusion. So they needed to keep silent. And they should be submissive, verse 34, because they weren't. So they were speaking... And in a way that was bringing confusion, and they were being unsubmissive. And then in verse 35, we're told that the, the, way, the ladies who were speaking should ask questions, not at the church, but should ask questions at home to their husbands. Don't ask their questions during church gatherings. Now, if we piece all these things together, I think we can come to a conclusion. As I studied this week, and I looked at different passages on this, there is pretty good uniformity here on the understanding of this passage from conservative scholars. Here's the deal. As we step into the time machine, back to the future, there were women in Corinth asking incessant, incessant questions as a way to control the church gatherings, and it was disrupting the peace of the church. And they should keep silent because that sort of speech is shameful. 
And ladies, let me just say today, if as I'm preaching, and this is a difficult topic, I realize that, and if you ladies just started blurting out and asking questions right here, and it, we couldn't do anything, I couldn't get to the text, we couldn't do anything in the gathering because of incessant questions, it would be shameful. It, you would not be honoring yourself or the Lord. You would be calling attention to yourself and your hurt or your pain or whatever it may be, your, or, or your arrogance or your pride would be on display. And Paul says it's out of place. You should keep silent. Like the people who are prophesying out of turn and speaking in tongues out of turn, Paul tells them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, keep silent in order. God is not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. Women, remember, in Corinth dominated the religious practices of the day. And so when we think about this, this way of living, when we just ask the question, why were the ladies in Corinth doing this? Why were they asking so many destructive questions? Why did Paul have to tell them, ask your questions at home? Just keep silent. Why did he have to tell them this? Well, Corinth was wacky. And remember, remember little at least, remember that the, the temple of Aphrodite was there. And an aphrodisiac, that's where the word aphrodisiac comes from. Somebody who's addicted to the women, at least a thousand prostitutes in the temples, the three places of worship, and worship happened through unions with these prostitutes. And now women and men who are converted out of that, who are now new believers in this church, the ladies are not understanding, hey, what's going on here? And they were continually... Asking and bringing, asking questions and bringing confusion. Now, remember also, women rejecting, in 1 Corinthians 11, women were rejecting their womanhood. And they were wearing their hair like men. And men were rejecting their masculinity and wearing their hair like women. And so the whole thing is just a mess in Corinth. And Paul has to bring some sort of, some sort of correction. So this was a symptom, at all root, down, if you push it down to the roots, this was a symptom of ladies rejecting their femininity in Corinth. Now, offended, power-hungry women will always try to manipulate and control everyone around them, and that remains the same today. Power-hungry women who often reject their femininity will always try to manipulate and control everyone around them. You, you know when you were younger, when you went to grade school, there was um, like little men. And remember the little guys that their freshman year in high school, they may end up like six foot five or something, but that freshman year of high school, there's always a kid where you're like, are you like eight or are you a freshman? You remember that, you know, there's always the little one, you know. And there's this thing called little man syndrome. You ever heard of that? For, for, for young men, little man syndrome. That if you're a little man, you want to prove yourself by beating your chest and getting in as many fights as you possibly can, or at least acting like you're going to get in a lot of fights. Because you want to prove yourself. The same thing, it's kind of, it, it's kind of the, the, a, a, diff, it's a different kind of thing, but it's the same kind of thing. With power-hungry women who want control, they will get it. And they will intimidate everybody around them. And men will be scared of them. You don't mess with her. And so in Corinth, Paul says, ladies, you're not allowed to speak in the church in such a way that brings disorder to God's people and shame on yourself. 
Be silent of speech like that. And that remains to this day. And in fact, men, if men were offering incessant questions, you know what we would say? Men, be silent. And so prohibition number one for the role of women in the church, and the whole point of this is we're putting prohibitions on the front end and commissions on the second end because I don't want to end with prohibitions. I want to start with prohibitions, get to commissions, and I want to show you the dignity in this here in a second. So ladies, you do a great job of this. I've never been, and this church has never been interrupted with incessant questions that are out of place and shameful. So ladies, thank you. I also want to bring words of affirmation to you. This church has some of the strongest women I know, and I mean that. Women who want to say, I don't care what anybody says except God. What does God have to say? And the strongest women in the world are women like that. Who are not daughters of Eve in the same way the world is daughters of Eve. Who plug their ears when God speaks. Truly godly women, women of steel, women with a backbone, are women who, when God speaks, they turn their ears open and they listen. And we have women like that here, and I'm thankful. So prohibition number one is don't speak shamefully in the context of a local church. Be silent. Not all speech is prohibited. Prohib prohibition, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Here we go. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. As a side note, this week I'll shoot you an email. Verse 15 is one of the most confusing verses in the Bible, but I think there's a real clear way to understand it that will unlock it for you. It says, it says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue with faith, love, holiness, and self-control. And here in a nutshell is what I think that means. This isn't the main topic, but I just wanted to share this and sh shoot you an email this week. As big as the curse was on the woman, the pain of childbearing, that curse, as massive as that is, ladies, how hard is having a baby? And if you've never had a baby, how hard is the women in your life, how hard is it to see them have a baby or your friends, your family, your neighbors that you've seen have a baby? Having a baby is hard. It's painful. And as large as that curse is, you'll be saved through it. Not by it, through it. Jesus is so powerful and his salvation work is so powerful that it's bigger than the curse that came upon you. And so I'll send you a link to that. But ladies, we're told, are to... Learn, let the women learn. So ladies, you should be learning in the context of the local church. A lady who does not want to learn the Bible is not walking in a full womanhood. A lady who doesn't want to grow in her knowledge of the Bible in the context of the local church is not being all that she could be. Ladies, you should want to learn and grow in Christ-likeness. There should be, by the grace of God, a desire in you to know more about God. If I walk up to my wife, you may have heard me tell this before, if I walk up to my wife and say, baby, I, I know everything I want to know about you and I don't want to know a single thing more. Clearly she would not be honored by that. Ladies, if you walked up to your husband and say, honey, I know everything there is to know about you, there's a lot less to know about you than there is to know about me, but uh, I know everything, I've got you figured out fully, and I don't really want to get to know you anymore. Well, that wouldn't be honoring to your husband. 
And it's the same thing with the Word of God. For your disposition to be one of, I'm good, I'll think deeply about other things, but I don't want to learn any more about God and His Word, is to be less than who God created you to be. You are called to learn quietly with all submissiveness. So how is this learning taking place? Quietly with all submissiveness. Now look at verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Teach or exercise authority over man, over a man. Now I want you to keep this in mind. This is not this is the apostle Paul here. But this is God here. This is God saying this. You know, some people want to say, well, that mean old Apostle Paul, he just didn't like women. No, this is God, and God does like women. He created you. And something we need to keep in mind about God's Word, it is inspired by the very Holy Spirit. This wasn't just uh, prophets and men writing who just thought some ideas up and wrote them contextually in, in their culture and just wrote it down, and now we're stuck with it. This is God's very Word. And God gives a, a prohibition that women are prohibited from preaching and teaching men. They are prohibited from exercising authority over a man. So here's what I think that means. I, I think that means they're prohibited from being an elder and from preaching. And there are some modern interpretations of this passage. And the conclusion of the modern interpretation of this passage is as follows. Women can teach and have authority over a man. And if your interpretation of this verse and your conclusion that you come to is, no, it actually is okay for women to teach and have authority over a man. Do you see how crazy that is? If you're just honest? And it's just plain. And what is the proper response then? Like, ladies, really, this isn't a big deal. What are you going to do, stomp and cry about it? Like, this is God saying this. It's not bad. And so, I, I think, because of what God has called men to do... Men, we need to be challenged over and over again. God has commissioned us to this. Let's not be lazy in our call. Let's never let there be a moment in the future of this church ever where the ladies are sitting there and saying, I wish somebody would do something. I wish somebody would lead and fight for our church. And I wish somebody would, I wish somebody would care for the sick. I wish somebody would do something here. I, I need to be a leader here, and I need to be an elder here because our elders are dropping the ball. Men, elders of our church... We have to fight for our churches, and we have to preach faithfully. But women are prohibited. Now, here, here's where I think we can get some help again by turning to the book of Acts. I, I want you to see that although ladies are prohibited from preaching and teaching in the office of elder, in Acts chapter 18, verse 22 to 28, I want you to see something interesting that happens because ladies, as we move from some of these prohibitions, prohibitions into some commissions, I want you to see a commission that's upon you to this day because I want you to see that elders should be learning from women. Even though the Bible does not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, I want you to see what happens in Acts 18 with Priscilla and Aquila. Because lest men take an attitude or a posture based on verses like this, lest us ever take a foolish posture to say, I don't have anything to learn from women, which the book of Proverbs would, would call us a fool because of that. And let us, lest we ever take a prideful or an arrogant position to say, I only teach women rather than learn from women, I want us to see an example of, of Paulos and Priscilla and Aquila from Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. 
verse 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, I want you to know the kind of man Apollos was. Apollos, at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, stood up to the Apostle Paul, and as Apostle Paul pleaded with Apollos, Apollos, I need you in Corinth. I need you to go to Corinth. They desperately need you there. They're a wreck. Apollos looked right back at Paul, and he said, I'm not going. Sorry. It's not my will to go. I'll go when I have time. And Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to let them know, I pleaded with Apollos, but it was not at all his will to come at this point. Apollos was the kind of man who could look at Paul and stand up to him, not be intimidated by him and say, I'm sorry, Paul, I'm not going to Corinth. Apollos was a man's man. And Apollos had the humility. He was teaching boldly in the synagogue. People were listening to him. And Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife team, come up to Apollos and they say, Apollos, this is amazing but there's some things you're missing here. And it wasn't just Aquila. It was Priscilla as well. Priscilla and Aquila together sat down with him, and Apollos listened. And he was right to do so. We need more, we need more and more Priscillas who know accurately the things of God. And if I ever come to a point where I'm not preaching things faithfully, ladies, you should know the word so much that you're able to sit down with me, and I should be so humble by the grace of God, to hear from you and listen to you and admit if I'm wrong. And ladies, I don't ever, I never want to be intimidating to my wife or to any woman in this room. I want to preach the Bible faithfully, and if I'm ever wrong on something, please come to me and say, Jared, I think you missed some of this. And I, I promise I will take your word seriously and consider it deeply, but know the word like Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla were students of the word, and they came to Apollos, the man's man, sat down with him and had no fear to say, Apollos, you're not seeing this rightly. And Apollos listened. Men should be learning from women who know more about a particular topic than they do. This is across the board, not just pastors. Men should be seeking out ladies to read. I see, I see Priscilla here as being equivalent of a, of a female author writing really good things. Men should be learning from women in this way. And this is a positive example of it. And so I want to come to another conclusion based on what we're seeing in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians. Women are prohibited from a certain kind of teaching of men. They're not prohibited from writing books to men. They're not prohibited from coming up and talking to me or other leaders and saying, hey, I think you may, are, you may be missing this. You should be doing those sorts of things. But women are prohibited from preaching and teaching the gathered church from a position of authority. Women are prohibited from preaching and teaching the gathered church from a position of authority. Being told to be silent or that you can't do something, ladies, at certain times, I want you to hear this, is not demeaning, it's glorious. It's glorious, and you're in good company. Being told to close your mouth or that you're not permitted to speak in a particular context is very, very Christ-like. 
lest we think God saying, ladies, no, is somehow demeaning to you, you really got to deal with Jesus. Jesus shows us the dignity and honor of remaining silent. He did not feel that it was a command from his father that was below him. Silence was not below the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's not below you, ladies. Matthew chapter 27, verse 12 to 14, I want you to see something so powerful in God's word. Matthew chapter 27, verse 12 to 14. And as you're turning there, I want to quote from you from John chapter 5. And John, whoa, did you hear that breath? That was weird. Matthew chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, it says this, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord. Nothing. But only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus obeyed his heavenly father. Whatever the father wanted him to do, that's what Jesus did. Whatever the father told him to do, that's what Jesus did. Matthew chapter 27, verse 12 to 14. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. He gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer. Not even a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed. How many of you, when you're falsely accused, want to defend yourself? Let's get some more crowd participation. When you're falsely accused, how many people want to defend yourself? What if somebody said, you're not allowed to defend yourself? What are you going to feel inside? And God the Father, to God the Son, as he's being falsely accused, and Jesus could have easily wiggled himself out of this. He was the King of kings and Lord of lords there as well. Jesus chose the cross. He chose to remain silent. The manliest of all men who's ever existed. Giving ladies the example of power. And God the Father said, son, don't talk. You're not permitted to speak. And God the Son gave no answer. Silent. Silence is not below the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And ladies, silence is not below you. When you're falsely accused... First reaction is, defend yourself. Defend yourself, especially if you know you're innocent. And especially if you know your life is on the line. It would be well within Jesus' rights. How dare anyone say, I can't. He could have stomped his fist, or clenched his fist, or stomped his foot. He was asked a direct question, and he remained silent. Silent. Jesus was not offended. He obeyed. And you know what? Disobedience, the silence, we sing about it. We sing about it. It's so glorious that we sing songs about it. We sang a song last week. Silent as he stood accused. Beaten, mocked, and scorned. Bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. 
Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. Sing it with me. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. One of the reasons praise and honor is due his name is because he willingly closed his mouth. And ladies, when God looks at you and says, you can't preach in the context of a local church. You can't be an elder. It's not demeaning. It's to your glory. It's to your praise and honor. And when we see it in the Son, Jesus Christ, we sing about it. God isn't a killjoy in the sky, a fuddy-dud out to ruin your life, ladies. He gives you his commissions, and his prohibitions for your good. Ladies, when God tells you this, consider it great joy. Don't shake your head. Don't shake your fist. Shaking your head at God's word to you, acting like it's archaic or old or somehow God is out of the loop, that is a sin for which Jesus had to die. He was silent in your place. And do not mock his silence as if he should have spoken up. Prohibitions, now to commissions. The family, the church, and the world needs women. We need women who believe God's word and fight against being easily deceived. We need women who will follow Jesus even unto death, who will also, like men, look at the fire burning around the pole and say, you can burn me, but I will not recant. We need women who know what they're living for. We need women, more importantly, to know who they are living for. And we need women who are willing to die for it. And not just die for it, not just being burned at the stake for it, but women who are willing to live your average, everyday, Monday, boring life for the glory of God. Women who see everyday life, Monday to Friday, for the glory that it is and the gift that it is. What are women called to do in the local church? Well, number one, Luke chapter 18. I told you today that we're going to be turning and flipping a little bit more. And then when we get into the... Book of Romans, we won't be doing this as much, but for the sake of today, I felt like it was, again, important. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Ladies are called to, number one, follow Jesus or walk with Jesus. I want you to see how radically different Jesus was to the rabbis of his day. who would never have women learning at their feet. In Roman society, in Roman culture, in, Roman, in the Roman world, and, and across the Mediterranean... For this to happen was absolutely scandalous. Jesus wasn't care, uh, was not scared to make a scandal. He really wasn't. He wasn't scared of anybody. And so we see in the book of Luke, women accompanying Jesus. It wasn't just the 12 apostles. He did choose 12 men apostles, but then ladies were welcome to come with him and learn from him as well. And the role of women in the context of the local church is very similar. Walk with Jesus. Follow him as his disciple. Look at verse 1 through 3 of chapter 8. Soon after he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, 
And the twelve were with him. And some women, also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, and from, uh, from, uh, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of that name, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided them out of their means, provided for them. Jesus had women walking with him. And then in Luke 10, just a couple chapters later, Mary and Martha are busy in the house and Martha's doing her work and Mary, Martha's doing all this work, bitter at Mary saying, but Mary, you should be in here doing this. I'm doing all this work. Don't you see all this kitchen work that needs to be done, Mary? She's thinking in her, in her heart about her sister and thinking, my goodness, you're leaving me literally to do all the cooking and not lifting, lifting one finger to help. Mary's in there, all she's doing is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. That can't be as important as serving Jesus. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the better. Learning at my feet. Jesus was not embarrassed. And he dignifies you, ladies. You can learn from him and kneel and bow before him and listen to his words and follow him. He calls you to do it. He calls you to come and die. As I said a few sermons ago, it's not simply men who get the command. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's upon you too. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him even unto death. Jesus taught women. He expected them to learn and follow him. Your number one role in the context of a local church is follow Jesus. Ladies, do you love Jesus? I mean, do you really love him? When you get in the Word and you see His personality, like, do you really do you love Jesus and what He's done for you? We want to cultivate inside of us a warmness to Jesus that we never grow cold, that we're never so acquainted with the cross that our jaw stops dropping. We never want to be so acquainted with the work of Jesus where we no longer stand in awe with our mouth wide open and our eyes fully open in wonder and awe at the magnitude of the work. We can talk about the cross and just, eh, no big deal. Go to our knees in prayer. God, remind me again of what you have done for me in Christ. Let me never grow cold with the grace of God. Ladies, your commission is to learn at the feet of Jesus. Open your word and study. Get out notes. Get out a notepad. Get out that journal. Get out those highlighters. Read your Bible in a year. Do a yearly reading plan. Or get Jen Wilkins' book, Women of the Word, and learn how to understand and hear from God. There are people all over claiming to hear from God who never opened their Bibles. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. Anybody who claims to hear from God all the time without them never opening the Bible, never listen to them. Ever. It doesn't mean that the Spirit doesn't impulse us and give us direction and lesser sorts of ways speak to us. But a person or a woman who never opens her Bible is never hearing from God. Period. Ladies, open your Bible. Open your Bible. Number two, be like the God godly widow in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. There is an example of a godly widow here. And in the same way that I called all men to ascribe to the character of the elder in 1 Timothy 3. I'm going to challenge all women to strive for the character of the godly widow in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. 1 Timothy chapter 5. So number one, ladies, your role in the local church is to humbly walk with Jesus. Just love him. And keep loving him. 
be bonkers and bananas over him. Keep going to the cross. Keep looking to the cross. Keep repenting of sin. Keep trusting in Christ. Keep encouraging other ladies to trust in Christ. Number two is to be like the godly widow in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Here's what the text says. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one, one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Every good work. This is an example of a godly woman in the context of a local church. Her reputation for good works is known. She's always seeking to do good works for people. Not to be saved, but because she's secure in God's love for her. She's had a reputation for good works. She was to be enrolled if she had brought up children and shown hospitality and washed the feet of the saints so, in other words, serving the church, if she is the one woman, woman, one man, woman, wife of one husband. Ladies, here's the deal. You can be married to a man, your husband, and be longing for another man. And it may not have a name to it. But you're called to be a one man, woman. The husband you have is the husband God has given you. And the same way God calls the attention on the man to have his eye on his wife and to be devoted singularly to her. You are called to be devoted singularly to your husband. And as you daydream about how much better of a man he could be, and I know my wife, I give her ample examples for her to daydream about how much better of a man I could be. Remember that God gave you one man, and you're called to be a one woman, one husband woman. This woman had a reputation for good works. She brought up her children. She showed hospitality, washed the feet of the saints. She served the local church. She cared for the afflicted. Being a nurse-like role, ladies, if you're in the medical field or doing something like that, you're in good company because ladies have been caring for the sick and the afflicted for a very long time. For a very long time. And ladies, when we open up a share meal plan, like, you know, share meals, that share meal thing or whatever, and we make meals and take care of other ladies, you're being like this godly widow in 1 Timothy chapter 5. These things are still happening today. Are you caring for those who need to be cared for in the context of a local church? These are really good things. Be like this woman. By the grace of God, be devoted to good works. Be the type of woman, when other people think about you, they think, my goodness, that is a devoted woman. She loves the Lord, and she loves the local church. She loves her family, and she is devoted to her husband. This is how a godly woman in the context of a local church should behave. And then we're given a little bit more prohibitions. Why younger widows shouldn't be enrolled in this widow care program of the church is seen in 11 through 16. And ladies, I want you to take note of this. And one of the reasons I think God gives you more prohibitions is because of some of your feminine sins that you deal with. We talked about this in week one. With Deeply within a heart of a woman is ingrained in her to resent God's call upon her life. And to want the call of a man on her life. 
And the whole feminist movement and every wave of feminism, although there has been some great things when it comes to fighting for the equality of women, but in the heart of a woman is this idea of wanting this power or wanting more. And we see these feminine sins that are listed here. And ladies, if you're going to be the First Timothy chapter 5 woman, be this kind of woman. Don't be this kind of woman in the local church. This kind of woman in the local church destroys churches. Destroys churches. And I want you to see it as well. Verse 11 to 16. But refuse to enroll younger widows. Well, why? For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so incur, incur condemnation for abandoning their former faith. Meaning there are women who are marrying non-believers in Ephesus, which is where this is written to. And these young women would be in their passions. He's very handsome. He can take care of me. Would go and marry a non-believer and abandon their faith. Verse 13, besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have the younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Here's the deal as we go through these. Younger ladies are not, younger widows, and again, this is kind of comprehensive for all ladies, don't follow your sinful passions away from Christ. These feminine sins here, this again is not PC, but you need to be aware of feminine sins. Women feel deeply. And ladies, you have passions and longings inside of you that no man or no system or no environment can meet in this life. Those are only satisfied in God and throughout eternity. And so many ladies longing to feel inside of these passions, abandon their God, abandon their family, at least at a heart level because they're never satisfied. And you ladies need to be aware of your sinful passions that rise up and seek to draw you away from Christ. These women were being drawn away to Christ to marry men who are not believers. Ladies, don't let your heart be carried away from Christ by your passions. Unchecked passions in women were leading them to do this and abandon their faith. And these passions, as stated, are deep. So ladies, beware. Submit your passions to Jesus. Submit your heart and your dreams to Jesus. Your dreams will not satisfy you. Jesus does. And the perfect life you have envisioned for you that one day you may have, and if you get there, you think, then I will be satisfied. No, you won't. No, you will not. There is no arrival on this life. And if you seek your passions and follow your passions, it will not go well. Submit your passions to Jesus. Ladies, you're not called to be idle, you're called to work. It's not only men who are called out of their laziness. Ladies, don't be lazy. Work and work hard. That's what you're called to do in the way God has called you to do it. Work hard. You're not to be gossips, but to speak well of the people. What if every time in the... Con you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but Christians are often known about being gossiping. You know, you've probably heard that before. Okay, ladies in particular here, don't... Younger women, are they have a tendency to gossip. Don't do that. Every time there's an impulse in you to say, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? Instead, pray and speak well of each other. What would happen in the context of a church if everybody, ladies in particular, were regularly speaking well of each other? One of my first days at a church on staff, I walk in, and a lady in the church said, hey, I want you to be known of this other lady in the church. She is a B-word.
and she said the, the e, she said it in like the way that's not the word, but it's like, uh, but she, that's what she was saying. Watch out for her. That's my first day. Like, did I hear that right? Don't do that. If you don't, not all women are going to get along, but you don't have to talk trash. And you don't have to think trash in your heart. Don't be like that. You're not called to gossip, but to speak well. When we see the negative, we know the positive. You're not called to be busybodies in other people's affair. Don't worry about them. What has God called you to be? Don't be daydreaming about, don't be busybodies, which means in other people's affairs. Don't be covetousness. Don't, don't covet other people's life. What does God have for you? Because what God has for you, you know, as you're coveting other people's life, other people are coveting your life. You realize that? The, the irony is, is ladies, especially on Instagram, and you see this, and I enjoy Instagram. I, I like that. I see this with ladies all the time. These, the curated lives, and it, it just, it is a cesspool of covetousness. And I can just see women, and, and, and it's like, ladies, you look at it, it's like, oh, their life's amazing, or that life is amazing. And you know what Ashton Kutcher, although he's not a lady, uh, but you know what Ashton Kutcher, Kutcher said one time? Is everybody wants the life of Ashton Kutcher? He said, I wish I could go outside and mow my yard without paparazzi coming up. And I remember thinking, well, I get to do that. He wants to live my life. I've never had paparazzi come up while I'm mowing the yard. <laughs> you ever been out mowing and people behind a bush? I get to do that. He wants my life. Don't be busybodies. Don't be in other people's affairs. It's none of your business. What's God have for you? Love them, pray for them, and just plug away. What does God have for you today? Mary. Mary. Bear children if God allows. Manage your household. Give no occasion to slander. If somebody comes up and slanders you, the people who are, they're slandering you to, they ought to be able to say, that's not true. I know that woman, and that's not like her at all. She's not that kind of woman. Stop saying that. Ladies, you are called to a holy call. Number three, you're called to be on mission. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Your mission, ladies, is the Great Commission. Wherever you are, God has put upon you the dignity of telling you what your role and job is this week. Be on mission, ladies. The Great Commission isn't given to a bunch of men and like, hey, men, go get the work done. Ladies, your life is called, your call to lay down your life for the sake of the lost, to plead for them to come to Jesus, to be little evangelists, to go into the world, tell everybody you see the good news of Jesus and plead with them. If you don't know Christ, you're going to go to hell. And say it in your own way. <laughs> but plead with them to know Jesus, to know Christ and to love Jesus. Jesus, you're called, thirdly, to be on mission. Fourthly, you're called to know the Word. In Galatians chapter 1, we talked about this in our small group. In Galatians chapter 1, and, and, and ladies, I, I would venture to say that you've never heard a sermon on this unless you've podcasted this before. I'd venture to say this sermon series is somewhat unique. There's not a lot of sermon series like this. Talking about feminine sins and specific things that God says to you. But ladies, your call is to know whether or not what I'm preaching is faithful or not. God will hold you accountable for what you listen to. In the book of Galatians, I, I want to keep going back to this. God holds the church accountable for false teaching. 
You are responsible, ladies, for what you listen to. And do not be like Eve. Do not be easily deceived. And that, again, is one of your feminine sins. One of your challenges is going to get away from being easily deceived. You're called to know the word. God holds the church accountable. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Here's what it says. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Ladies, you along with men are responsible for what you hear. And if I ever, there's ever a day where I'm not preaching faithfully from God's word, God will hold you accountable to what you listen to. He will hold you accountable. You need to listen every week the word is preached here. And you need to be paying attention to know, is this what God says? Is it faithful to his word? You need to know the word, learn the word, grow in the word, ask questions, study, and pray. And many ladies in our world and the church today are like the people in Galatia who have been bewitched. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And there are so many who have been bewitched by false teaching. Ladies, don't drink the cultural Kool-Aid. Just don't drink it. Don't drink the cultural Kool-Aid. That's what all the ladies are doing. They're downing it by the gallons over and over and over again. Ladies, don't drink the liberal church Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid that says, oh, yeah, everything that Jared said today is no big deal. You can preach and have authority over man. Ask all the questions you want. You can be just like a man and you are just like a man. That's a lie. So don't drink the liberal church Kool-Aid. Look to Christ. Rest in Him. Believe and love God's Word. Be like Abraham's wife, Sarah, who was not afraid of anything. Ladies, don't be afraid of anything. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you stood silently as you were accused. And you give us an example to follow. It's not just that men are, have an example to follow in Christ. These ladies do as well. And as Jesus gives them this example to follow, he just models it so perfectly. God, I pray that they would see the power of obedience.